0: well good morning isn't it good to worship together no I'm good I think may I ask you to hold me up here in a little bit though um, it is just so good to worship such a great God um, the older I get the more I begin to appreciate worship and I think I let go of all the dumb stuff that gets in the way um, At least I hope that's the case um, you may be wondering, my name is Dan Overby, I'm one of the pastors here, and some of you may be wondering um, where the, the tall, bald guy went. Well, he got shorter and grew hair. Um, no, Dan is, Dan is trying to finish up his doctoral work, and um, needed a couple of weeks off, so you're stuck with me for two weeks. So if this doesn't go well this morning, don't come back next week, come back the week after. Um, <clears throat> um But, no, he'll be back in two weeks. Um, Be praying for him. Um, It's a big endeavor to do your dissertation, get it all done, get it put in, have them turn it back to you and say it's not good enough and all that stuff. So that's the process he's in right now. Um, So be praying for him and that God would just keep his heart um, soft and pliable in his hands because sometimes when you're jumping through school hoops, it's just drudgery. So pray for him. But I will be here the next two weeks, and we are going to be talking about something I think that is so important to the Christian life, and that's freedom. But before we start talking about that, I'd like to pray one more time. So let's pray. Father in heaven, it was for freedom that Christ set us free, and I pray, Father, that this morning you would help us to believe that. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe, Father. We get so entangled in, Father, our faith and our life in Christ is always under siege. And there are many things that want to strip our freedom. And so I just pray that as we look at this this morning, that you would solidify in our hearts by faith, the grace and freedom we have in Jesus Christ. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Freedom may be considered more important than life itself for millions have given their lives to secure it for themselves, for their loved ones, and for others. Our country came to being for freedom. We went to war for freedom and we continue to war to keep that freedom. The Declaration of Independence codified freedom right next to life itself as an inalienable right that was given by our Creator. Here's some of the things the founders and a president has said about freedom. Benjamin Franklin said of freedom, they that can give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety, deserve neither liberty nor safety. That's pretty strong words. John Adams said, "Liberty must be, it must at all hazards be supported." If I was to put that in modern English, defended at all costs. We have a right to it, derived from our Maker. But if we had not. Our fathers have earned and bought it for us at the expense of their ease, their estates, their pleasure, and their blood. Patrick Henry, of course, said, Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, God Almighty. I know not what the course of others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. That's how important it was to him. John F. Kennedy, our 35th president, declared to the world, let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, we shall bear any burden, make any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival and success of liberty. Freedom is what this country was built upon. It courses through every red-blooded American's veins, the spirit of freedom. It is something that is precious to us. It is something that we hang on to. It is something we're willing to give our lives for. And for all the freedoms that we have in this great country, they pale, absolutely pale in comparison to the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. One is temporary and will last for this life, this physical life. One is eternal. One costs us. One costs God everything. Freedom for us was costly and valuable and should never be let go easily and yet it is accosted by religion all the time. What are cults built on? The idea of slavery. Jesus wasn't enough so I gotta go knock on doors. Jesus wasn't enough so I gotta do X, Y, and Z to enter heaven. And that's not just by cults. It creeps into every church. And probably everyone in this room has fought with it at one time or another. And you may not even know that until I'm done this morning. But it is constantly, it's one of the ways Satan tries to thwart what God would have for us. In fact, it was so precious to Paul that he reminded us in Galatians 5.1, if you want to turn there, he says this, and this would be the banner I would lay on this entire book. This is the most caustic, most um, hotly wrote letter Paul ever scribed. You would think it would be to the Corinthians that Paul would be so fierce, but it's to the Galatians. And I want us to see why. And this is the banner I think you could put over this book. Verse 1 For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. And do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Over the next two weeks, I want to talk about what attacks our freedoms so that we can be aware of it, we can watch it in our own lives so that we don't put pressure on others and we don't stifle our own, the the grace of God that God has given us and given to others. And then next week, I want to look at what are the boundaries and definitions of freedom? Because what our world does to freedom sometimes would not be defined as freedom. It would be defined as a different type of slavery. And we'll address that next week. But I want you to notice. For freedom Christ has set us free. And we're going to focus on the latter half of that this morning. Stand firm therefore. Put both feet down. Move nowhere. Stand firm therefore. And do not in Any way, shape, or form, submit to the yoke of slavery again. This was so precious to Paul that he went toe-to-toe with Peter over it. If you read in chapter 2 of Galatians, he confronted Peter face-to-face and he did it publicly. Peter was an apostle. And Paul went toe-to-toe and rebuked him. Because Peter began to be swayed by people who would add to Jesus some kind of something. In that case, it was that you can't eat with Gentiles. We have special food regulations. All those things that were to point to Christ had become the very bondage that they wanted to submit themselves again to. And even Peter, the apostle, who knew better. Because of the peer pressure of these religious people, who Paul calls false brethren, put so much pressure that even an apostle went astray. In fact, not only did did Peter go astray, but all the Jews who were fellowshipping in sweet communion as one family under God broke fellowship because they came to spy out the liberty they had in Christ. And so Paul rebukes them. He rebukes Peter face to face. He rebukes the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Have you begun in the Spirit and now you're going to perfect yourself in the flesh? Are you that confused? Did determination, did human will ever get you anywhere but in worse graces with God? Have I not given you my Spirit to live by? He got so angry that in chapter one he says that if an angel or any other human being, including myself, ever preaches to you another gospel other than Jesus Christ crucified, and that he is our entrance to heaven, he is our certificate of adoption, he alone is is the one who paid all our sin. He alone is our righteousness. He alone is our peace. He alone is our hope. He alone is our salvation. He alone is everything. If anybody preaches differently than that, let them be damned. Strong words. In fact, he says it twice in a row. He is that angry. It is that crucial to our salvation. He says to the Galatians, I am worried that I've ran in vain over that you would desert the Lord so easily. In fact, he goes on further. I believe it's in chapter 5, and this is one of the things they were touting was circumcision. It was a sign of the Old Testament covenant pointing to the seed that would come, which was Christ himself, the one who was the promise to Abraham. And he says to them, I wish that they would castrate themselves. Don't read that too often in the Bible, now do you? So needless to say, these kinds of things ought to just make you understand how important it is to never let your freedom go in Christ. And it is easy to do. So Paul says, and, 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 and what is at stake to... If we read in uh, chapter 4, verse 9, what is at stake? Listen to this. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak, worthless, elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? this hellish slavery would subtly cause a Christian to turn their back on the one who had saved them Christianity is not about religion it has never been about religion it has been about a relationship with our Creator our Redeemer our Savior our Lord our sustainer it's always been about that And Paul says, how can it be that once you come to know all this stuff, everything in here has one purpose and one purpose alone, to know God and to enjoy Him and to know that He loves you beyond comprehension. Something Dan's been preaching about, that the grace of God, the plan of God, is that He loved us before the foundation of the world and set this whole plan in motion to wow us with that love. Could you imagine what it would be like to finally win the date that you've longed to have and take your date out and then say, hey, I'm going to go play video games for a while. How do you think that would work with your relationship? Not very well. And yet these guys are saying, God, thanks for getting it kicked off, but i gotta go. I got to go work this out and show you that I'm good enough. Hugely wrong. So what's the antidote? What is the, the cure for this? Well, if we move to chapter 2, verse 16, it's up on the board for you. You can turn there in your Bibles. By works of the law, no one will be justified. Faith is the antidote to slavery. Because slavery comes in the form that you can offer God something. Slavery comes in the form that you think that somehow um, I have to earn his love. And it can be convoluted where you think, okay, well, I've got... I've got this Jesus thing but God I, I got to show you that I love you I I need to, I, I need to make it to heaven the minute you begin to add anything anything at all to Jesus Christ when it comes to your justification when it comes to your life in Christ you have just subtracted everything you have just thrown grace in the toilet in fact He goes on in verse 21, and he says, For if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. The minute we trust in anything other than Jesus Christ, we tell God he was a fool, that he made the biggest, most colossal mistake he could have ever made because he spent his son for no purpose. Because I can get there on my own. you see how heinous that is, how hellish, how dangerous? And legalism, I'm gonna give it that name, living by the law, living by Jesus plus, absolutely devastates Christianity. It is marked by division. Not only is it marked by the fact that you, you divide yourself from God because you turn your back on Him to say, I can do this and I'll show you. But it divides brothers and sisters all the time. Why do we have so many de- denominations? More often than not, because we're idiots. Let's just say it straight out more often than not, because we divide over the silliest things. There are so many Baptist denominations because of end times views. Which we, if you, re- if you read the scriptures at all, you can say maybe you're 60% sure that you, you hang your hopes on this. Well, there's a lot of room for error. And yet we divide over stuff like that. We divide over things like somebody has a glass of wine. Well, I don't drink. That's terrible that you do that. Good Christians don't do that. Good Christians don't smoke either, and they shouldn't chew. Good Christians don't dance. I mean, if you want to be a good Christian, Jesus plus. Do you want to make God happy, you know, my children are my children no matter whether they're good or bad. When you come to Christ by faith in His blood, you become adopted into the family of God. Can you be more adopted? No. And when we get stuck in this crippling vice of trying to show God that we have some merit before Him, we lose all the freedom to love Him. All the innate power that comes by the Spirit of God thriving in our hearts to serve one another. To live by the true law of love. Which Paul says, if you live by the law of love, you've fulfilled all the rest. Sometimes I think we don't think that we get involved in uh, this whole, whole issue. That maybe we're we're, we've grown up, we've gotten smarter, wiser. I don't know. But I see division in our own church sometimes. I see it among Christians often. It rears its ugly head in many different ways, all kinds of sordid ways. I can't count them all. But we get in debates over, well, should you homeschool? Should you private school? Public school? well, I homeschool. Well, I send my kids to a private school because I want them to be protected from the world. Then you have the person who says, well, I sent my kids to public school because I want them to be lights in the world. All of a sudden, you get this subtle... Who cares? Who cares? Wherever God has called you to put your kids, put them there. But make sure you walk with them there because every one of those places is a dangerous place. I don't care if it's homeschooling, I don't care if it's private schooling and I don't care if it's public schooling. Everyone has its own failures and weaknesses. And if you're blind to that, you're going to do your kids a serious injustice. I have had people get frustrated at me because I don't tout the certain kind of Bible study that they like to do. I don't care. I don't care whether you like inductive Bible study or deductive Bible study, whether you like to go from the specifics to the big picture or from the big picture to the small specifics. I don't care. Read your Bible. Enjoy God. However that works for you. I don't care if you get up in the morning. I don't care if you do it late at night. I don't care if you do it in the middle of the day. I don't know your personality. I don't know your makeup. I don't want you to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning if you're a night person and snooze through your Bible time with God, snooze through your devotion, snooze through your communion, that's no communion at all. So figure out what works for you. Be free. Love God. Enjoy Him through His Word. Commune with Him. But don't get caught up in, well, I get up at 6 o'clock. I don't care. I don't care that you do a certain kind of Bible study every day with your kids I don't care I don't I'm not a very good dad I'll confess it I kinda take the Deuteronomy 6 approach whether good or bad there's times I've done Bible studies with our kids there's times I've meditated with them there's times that we've memorized together I read good books to them I am so sporadic I am not consistent if my kids make it to heaven it's by the grace of God and that alone but if my kids leave my house with two things in mind I'll be happy if they will learn to be perpetual confessors of sin and perpetual beggars of mercy and strength from God alone I will be a happy father but how you do that with your kids Be creative. I mean, Deuteronomy 6, people go to the Bible and they act like there's the answer. The Bible gives you the step-by-step process. Well, I've read it several times. I can't figure it out. I don't know where you see the step-by-step process. I don't see it. I see Deuteronomy 6 saying whether you lie down, whether you stand up, whether you walk along the way, talk with your kids about me. And I know that doesn't mean, hey, Daniel, look at that tree. God made that. No, it means to be in tune with your kids and be creative and be thoughtful of how God interacts on a daily basis in your life, and how He interacts on a daily basis in your children's life. So when they come home picked on, you're able to help them see how Christ was picked on. You're able to teach them what it takes and where the strength comes from to turn the other cheek. You Help them to learn in life how, what it means to walk with God and trust in the authorities over you. You teach them that stuff. You don't just do Bible study about it. Most kids learn by catching things. They don't learn by Bible study. Uh, now again, I do Bible study once in a while with my kids. Probably don't do it like you would do it or how you'd like it. That's okay. But whatever you do, teach your kids to enjoy God. To not make him a duty, but a delight. Whatever you do, don't make your Bible reading a duty. That we get to have it in our hands is amazing. Some other things I thought about that we fall into. I've heard people say, well, you should date your wife every wife, uh, Your wife, I'll learn to speak, every week. Well, frankly, I couldn't afford to do that. So I guess I'm not a very good husband either. But I hear that kind of stuff. Like, you have to do this all the time. And don't ever break that rule. Whatever you do, don't break that rule. Otherwise, your marriage won't last. Where do you get that? Where do I come up with some of the nonsense I end up with? Because I take my eyes off God and I want to make some kind of measurable, business-like, quantifiable goal and show it off to everybody. Look what I've done. I get down on my knees every night next to my bed, next to my wife. We don't miss a night. I don't care if I'm puking in a bowl. We pray together. (laughs) That's not life. That's not living. That's not real. That's a means so you can show off, that you can put others under you. It has nothing to do with Christianity. Now, by all means, pray with your wife however you would like. But do you see the insanity that sometimes we get into? We have divisions over Republicans or Democrats. Uh, Christians are funny people. (laughs) I'm more spiritual by the way, I didn't know if you knew that. Just thought I'd let you in on that. Well, we're talking about this whole subject, you know why? Because I work in a church. You work in the public sector. I'm sorry. But God likes me better. Where does that come from? I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. In fact, the only thing that that does for me is put more responsibility and a greater judgment on my head. That's the only thing I get out of it. Wherever God calls you, which he does call you into whatever workplace he calls you, what does he say? Work unto him with all your might as unto the Lord. Boy, that's broad. So it doesn't matter whether I'm a ditch digger, trash truck driver, pastor, CEO. No. God is pretty unconcerned about what you do. He's concerned about how you walk with him in whatever you do. There is no benefit that I can add to Jesus Christ. I've already been given it all. My inheritance is secure. It can't grow anymore. Do we realize that? Do you know what freedom that gives to you guys? And how much family closeness it brings? You're no longer in competition you can encourage one another in Christ Jesus that you're commanded to do all the time rather than pick on one another or police one another. The most detrimental thing to me in relationships is when people police me. Now, by all means, if I fall into moral failure that's clearly delineated by the Bible, please love me enough to confront me. But don't confront me about your preferences, I don't care. Let me be your friend. Don't police me. That is so stifling when a husband does that to their wife, when a husband's really turned on by Bible study, and his wife is, by the way, running everything else all the time and can't keep her eyelids open and barely has time to read her Bible. And he holds it over her like, well, you don't know the doctrines of grace. like." What kind of nonsense is that? That's not love. Love sets free. Love encourages. Love lifts up. What kind of marriages would we have if we were loving versus condescending? Looking down our spiritual noses at one another. How much love would be in this church that the world would see if we weren't doing that to one another? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm and never submit to slavery again, never. God wants us to live as Christians. And I know what it feels like to be under the eye of scrutiny because I'm a pastor. Everybody has a different standard for the pastor. It's just the way it goes. Whether it's right or wrong, it's the way it is. Many talk about living in glass houses because everybody's peering in to see what you're doing. Can't we get beyond that and just love one another faithfully? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Why are we putting each other in bondage? labeling people by narrow theological issues. Another one that I think is, is something that drives me nuts is what, what should worship look like? I don't know, frankly. But I'm pretty sure it should look different to each individual. Because I don't know what your work week was like. Maybe yours was great. And you walked with the Lord faithfully, and your heart is just full of joy because of the grace He bestowed. Maybe I walked in sin all week, and I'm just dragging myself in because I'm such a failure. Maybe I should be prostrate, and you should be holding your hands up high. But I'm pretty sure that not all of us will be doing the same thing. Not if we're truly worshiping in spirit and in truth because part of worship is doing business with God where you're at, right? Can we give each other the freedom to that? I had someone ask me, why don't you model worship? I don't know what that is. I, and that's why I said that. I, I said, I don't, I don't know what you mean, but I'm, if you mean that you want me to hold my hands up, so that I will encourage others to hold their hands up, I'm not going to do that. Because I'm pretty sure that's not modeling worship. I just want to worship. I don't want to model anything. I just want to worship my King. And I want everybody else to have the freedom to do the same. Amen? Do you see why Paul was so mad? The essential nature of legalism is it divides. It puffs up. It makes arrogant. And it cripples Christians all the time. It cripples the one because they think they're really doing something for God and they've lost their relationship with Him. They've got their backs turned to Him. His grace they have thwarted. And it cripples the other Christian because they're chasing after all kinds of things that they've been told is Christianity that's not. And rather resting and basking and enjoying and thriving in the love of God and the grace of Christ and the salvation that can't be reduplicated or added to. They're looking downward at the earth rather than upward where their inheritance is, where their king sits. Because we have encouraged them, you need to do more Bible study, you'd be more holy. Or you need to pray more, you'd be more holy. Or you need to do it this way, you'd be more holy. I don't, from what I understand of Scripture, Christ is my sanctification. And He is going to make me more holy over time. But I am, in God's eyes, no more holier when I die than I am right now because He is my righteousness and that gives me the freedom and the unction to want to be more like Him if you give me a bunch of rules you will cripple me you will burn me out I will not walk by the power of the Spirit I will be walking in my flesh and I will die and so will you It was freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Let's pray. Father, it is my desire, my hope, my longing for me to never, ever again, which I know I have done in the past, put vain expectations on my brothers and sisters. Teach me to love. Teach me to rest fully and completely in the justification I already have in Christ, the righteousness I already have in Christ, and help my brothers and sisters to do the same. Help them to walk in the freedom of your love, Father. It is so much fun when we do that. It is so joyful. And so the opposite when we don't. It's so crippling, so damning. Father, make yourself everything to us and your son, our security. We believe, help us in our unbelief. We pray and ask in Jesus' name.